Welcome into another edition of New Track Record Podcast. Caleb Hatch and Justin Kinney with you as always. Hello, Justin. Hello, Mr. Hatch. So, a pretty good race at Barber Motorsports Park for the Children's Grand Prix of Alabama. I'm sure I already butchered the name. Um, but uh, the winner of the Children's of Alabama Indy there Grand Prix, Scott McLaughlin, comes on the podcast, goes on to win the next I race. predicted him to win, too, didn't you, you I? You did. I picked him to win? That you yeah, did. See? I picked power. He finished third. That's why you listen to this podcast, yes. is to get uh, dynamite predictions from us. Every now and then. Didn't you have a streak? Was it last year or two years ago where you had like four in a row? I, it was, I think a couple of years ago, I was... Doing gangbusters yet somehow I still can't win the uh, the fantasy the fantasy league. Yeah. Uh, no, that's either, about but depth. True, but I'm I'm just now recovering, of course, from the drinking game that I played over the weekend <laughs> that just absolutely almost literally killed me from the the uh, parameters we set last week. <laughs> yeah, that that was a do not attempt at home <laughs> professional driver on a closed course. You know all yes. the disclaimers. Yes, uh, for that one because you would have died. <laughs> No, absolutely. And it started from the jump on Friday. Yes. Uh, talking about the Augusta. the Augusta Motorsport was literally in the first <laughs> 30 seconds of of practice one. Yeah, and it, it just went downhill from there. So uh, we'll get to our, our three things here. So much to get to, though, on this episode. Our, our three things, uh, each from Barber and the race weekend. Uh, we have the debut of 100 Days to Indy and plenty of news in terms of little schedule notes and, and whatnot for the month of May. So all that to come on this episode, plus a few silly season items as well. So we start off with our takeaways from Barber. And again, obviously we'll start with Scott McLaughlin, uh, a, a guy who let's be honest. We talked to him about it last week, not the start to the season that he would have wanted um to win from outside the first two rows in barber is actually pretty impressive right um that's kind of seemed to be the the place you want to be but he gets his first win of the season uh he didn't have any podiums top fives or wins uh going into it into the weekend so a, a big turnaround for him and for all the issues that Pinsky seemed to have you know in qualifying with will power um and then just new garden, you know, surprisingly a bit further back starting in seventh and he ended up finishing 15th. He had a suspension issue and, and really faded late, but uh, Scott McLaughlin able to salvage things for team Penske, get a win. And then will power battling back late to finish on the podium. Yeah. Bounce back performance for uh, Scott McLaughlin. We talked to him yesterday and, and asked him just how important Barber was for the championship in the sense that he was 10th in points and he was heading into a month where points are secondary, particularly after we get past the GP. So he does what he needs to do to get a dub and get some good mojo going, at least with, in terms of finishing positions. And it was just a, a weird dynamic with that race because anyone would look at and say, well, three stops versus two stops is not a good decision if there's enough yellow to make sure that two stops can make it without having to conserve a lot of fuel. And usually at Barber, that's the case. But the strategy just happened to work out for Scott McLaughlin and the other three stoppers, of which Will Power was one, that made it work because of the lack of yellow. And unfortunately for Romain Grosjean, the right strategy, two-stop strategy, it didn't work because of only one yellow. 
yeah, and just not enough yellow laps. I mean, how big of a difference does it make that simply Stingray Rob stalled just off the track in the grass as opposed to in the gravel track? Right. I, it would I mean, have taken that, more than three laps. That, to... that makes a huge difference. Yep. And so it did not work for the two stoppers. And uh, it, you look back at how this race has played out previously as far as the, the stops go and and what it means as far as the two-stop versus three-stop, it's been back and forth as, as far as the winners go on that. So, uh, and I'll pull up that stat here momentarily, but it just, you think going in, if you're the two-stopper, you're, you're in a good spot because there's always been a yellow at Barber. You know, it, we think road, road course races, we've had several times where like at Road America, there's been no yellows, and I think Mid-Ohio, but Barber's always had a yellow. So uh, that was notable. And it, it worked out and you would think they were on the right strategy, but did not work out for Roman Grosjean. And you look at the, the three stops versus two stops is from a friend of the show, Chad 200. So McLaughlin was a three stopper. Pato last year had two. Uh, Plo in 21 had two. Now there were two cautions that year. Sato in 2019 had three. He was on the pole. Newgarden in 2018 had four, but that was a, a rain shortened race. In 2017, Newgarden uh, was a three-stopper. Pajon in 2016, a three-stopper. Newgarden in 2015, a three-stopper. Uh, and then Ryan hunter in 2014, a two-stopper. Ryan hunter again in 2013, a three-stopper. So he, he won different strategies. Uh, and then Will Power in 2012, a two-stopper. Power in 2011, a three-stopper. And then Castro Navis, the, the first event winner, had two stops. Now, the difference... Uh, some of these races were all over the place. Most races have had one or two cautions. In 2011, it had six. In 2014, there were five. Uh, that was shortened due to lightning to 69 laps. Uh, so those are kind of the couple of anomalies with the strategy. That's kind of my first uh, take on the race. Uh, do you have a a first take of your three things? Well, yeah, just Scott McLaughlin. It's yeah. sal- salvage the day for Penske. What's your, your takeaway is just the strategy? Takeaway is the strategy, just how it worked out for Scott McLaughlin and, and burned Romain Grosjean. You feel like two stops make sense if you get a couple cautions, of which we usually have at Barber. The fact that you just got one for three laps burned the strategy. What's your number two? Um, I think my number two on this race and I know Nathan Brown and the Indy Star did a, a real good deep dive on this topic, but the midfield. I mean, the midfield's disappeared for IndyCar. Yeah. You have four teams at the top, and I think that's very clear, that have separated themselves. And then you look at, at the numbers, like there just simply aren't guys. Uh, Christian Lungard was the exception. He had a phenomenal pass um, in the race on Scott Dixon, but he started six, finished six. But, I mean, he's the anomaly. Outside the top, 12, it is all Penske, Gadassi, Andretti, Aaron McLaren. And we're not seeing anyone in the midfield challenge really for anything this year. And I think that's that's been something I've, I've noticed race by race. It really stuck out, though, on Sunday. And, and, and the highest, you know, non-Penske, Gadassi points person is Callum Ila in 11th. So, I, I mean, VK won the pole at this race last year, right? Uh, yeah. Almost won the race. We're not seeing anything from him uh, this year. He's really struggled. No uh, top tens. Struggled. That whole team is struggling. Um, Ray Hall's put together a couple of random results as far as the team goes, but all in all, it, it's been pretty inconsistent. They've struggled mightily in qualifying. And even uh, with 
Uh, Dale Coin Racing, for example. Uh, Stingray Rob has struggled. That's not really a surprise as a rookie, but David Malukas, a couple of, uh, had a top 10 at St. Pete and then fourth at Texas, and then a couple uh, just mediocre results, honestly, at Long Beach and Bama. So we're just seeing the midfield, the separation from those. Let's see, you got four plus four plus three plus four. So, I, I mean, that's a, a big bulk of the field. Yeah. I'm not going to do the math there, but. It's a big bulk uh, 15, of the 15, 15 so 15, 15, so half the field, that's your top four teams, and then it's everyone else, and that's what it's felt like on track this year. Yeah, and for a, a series that, and a fan base that loves to point to, oh, anybody can win a race any given weekend, I think this is the first year, at least so far, where, no, that's not the case. RLL looks tremendously off. MSR, tremendously off. And ECR, tremendously off. Coin, tremendously off. Uh, right now, it's tough to look at any of those teams being able to put together a winning effort outside of maybe the 500 where it's more predictable, right? Is is your so-called midfield teams, all of them have regressed. All of them are underperforming. And talked about it before, there's only two teams in this series that can win a championship. And right now, there's only four teams in this series that are capable of winning a race. And this is a huge shift even from just a season ago. Right. I think that's notable. Now, is it just simply because another year with the arrow screen, so teams have enough data at this point to figure out running with the arrow screen because 2020, it's brand new. 21, you're still learning things, and the series is also expanding teams. Right. You added you know, new entries slowly, and now it's like, okay, they're set. They haven't, they haven't done anything with the cars. It is what it is at this point, and is that really the main reason why? Is it you have an old car, the aero screen's old news as far as development and, and what you can and can't do as far as looking at the data, and, and that's where we're at again. Well, you know, when you go, the longer you go from making a radical change to a car, the more time it gives the top teams with the most money to figure out how best to run with that car. And I think that's what we're seeing, right? That's what we're seeing. And we've just seen another team added to that in Aero McLaren. Yeah. As far as funding goes, <laughs> money, not an issue for them when it comes to things. Uh, my number two, and I want to talk about uh, Colton Herta and maybe Ale- uh, um, Andretti Autosport as a whole. Mm-hmm. And we're approaching now one year since Colton Herta won a race. Yes, and I mean, the NDGP is it. He was the next, in the last couple of years, he's been the guy at Andretti. And are we seeing that change? Is Romain Grosjean the guy at Andretti? Or at the very least, does Colton Herta have somebody that he's sharing at least the, uh, the conversation, which we're talking about best drivers on each team? Right now, I think you're at the very least talking about Grosjean being that 1B to Colton Herta's 1A, and that doesn't begin even to factor in a Kyle Kirkwood, who's won a race this season and has proven that he can be a guy that can keep it off the wall and stay out of trouble and be a race winner. Well, all of a sudden, we're looking at a team that for the last couple of years in Andretti Autosport, you started the conversation with Colton Herta, is now are we seeing a fundamental shift in that your conversation with Andretti Autosport is not starting with Colton Herta. Is it starting with Romain Grosjean? I will be very curious to see how the month of May goes with both races uh, with Andretti. You know, how, how, how is qualifying go at Indy where 
you're pretty inexperienced as a team. I mean, you don't you don't have in terms of the drivers, yeah, Mm -hmm. in terms of the drivers as far as qualifying for the 500 and and having a lot of experience also in the race. I mean, Colton Hurd has led laps at Indy, but his Indy 500 results really aren't a lot to to take away. He's not really done anything. So, and then Grosjean just had last year. So, I, I mean, we're looking at a driver. And a team has a lot of it in experience for the 500. I heard his best finish is eighth in, in 2020. He has a couple of a top five starts, but had just a dismal race last year after he crashed in Carb Day. That that ruined his entire race. Of day. which I remember we were in the garage area yep. and hearing that, and it was like a, th- a, th- a thunder clap. Yes. Of hip- like it was, I've never heard anything like it at the no. speedway. No, it was very loud. We saw the replay because I think we were checking out, was it David Malukas who had crashed? Yeah, because we were in the garage area and they were just bringing his car in and we were walking around and just heard that tremendous boom and then a bunch of gasps from people and, and we were like, what the hell just happened? So thankfully it was okay, but I mean, his race car was was not the same and that no. was clear. So we'll see you know, how he can bounce back this year. But between the NDGP where I think, you know, I think I've said this you know, I said this to you. I don't know if I said it last week, but Roman Grosjean, in my opinion, is the favorite for the NDGP going into yeah, it. I know did. that Will Powers yep. had a lot of success, um, but to me, he is the clear favorite going into this weekend. It's a racetrack where he's qualified well at. He's won some poles at uh, in IndyCar. This is a guy that's knocking on the doorstep of his first win. And, I mean, you look at, at drivers in history as far as, race wins or not not winning races in any car but having a lot of success he's he's on that list uh just already in three years i mean it's not like it took a long time uh this from uh thompson 419 on twitter most second place finishes without a win uh, romain grosjean now tied for third all time at five joining russ snowberger i don't oh, i don't know that name yeah, of course uh, raul boisel also at five jeff brabham it's uh, has six or had six, so he's in second. And then, guess who's number one on the list? Most number one in second place, place finishes without a win. Yeah, in uh, Vitor Mira. Yes, correct at eight. So, I, I mean, he's joined that list though in what two and and a half seasons essentially. Yeah. I mean, he didn't race full time his first year. And uh, Calhoun ninety eight Russ Thompson pointing this out. Uh, most second place finishes before their first career win is five by Pancho Carter. Uh, again, and then we went through the other stats as far as the other drivers. So it, it, it shows you he's knocking on the doorstep. I, I fully expect him to get that win, and I could see it happening coming up here in a couple weeks. He couldn't have driven a better race than what he did Sunday. Unfortunately, the strategy and the lack of cautions bit him. Now, with the push-to-pass thing, now, were you as surprised that he was out of push-to-pass as I was watching the race? And yeah, because last time they put it up, it was, what, at what like 148 or 154 yeah. or something? And, now. And, Pinsky said that they are monitoring it during the race, and Marshall Pruitt had this in the mailbag, basically saying, "Yes, we're we're we're, we're seeing him burn through it." But look, when you, if you're on a two-stop strategy, and you're saving fuel the whole the whole time, right. outside of you know on your outlaps, and, yeah. and he obviously burned a lot, you know, trying to you know in your inlaps and your outlaps, that's where you're using a lot. I, I'm just shocked that it was used up. And I think NBC needed to do a better job of keeping an eye on his push to pass for when he was using it. Now, he's convinced, and I, we haven't heard anything from the team or or the series about if there was some sort of glitch or whatever, mm-hmm. 
but it just seemed like he used up more than he thought he did. But I don't know how much push to pass would have helped him anyway, um, especially once Grosjean got past him. I just think it was an inevitability. It wasn't like it was a a pass two laps from the end of the race no. and then was able to able to hold him off. It happened close to 20 laps remaining in the race. So whether Grosjean had pushed a pass or not left at the at the time of him uh, getting passed by McLaughlin, I just think it was an inevitability that so he was going to get passed. Merrick Speed had this on Twitter during the race and is, is worth following. So uh, kind of the, the radio chatter on it, 20 to go. Uh, Grosjean was in first, out of push to pass. Overtake is gone. Stan, yes, sir, you're out. And then unclear exactly what he said, but he said the countdown is wrong then is what it, what it sounded like he said. So, yeah. um, But I haven't seen much in the way of protest since no. then. If there was something there as to somehow lost some push to pass, then we would have heard from about it by now. And I think that's the biggest thing, right? If there is some sort of issue, I'm sure it would have been brought up by now. I would absolutely agree. So I just think it was somebody that in the heat of battle on track lost track of their push to pass. All right. Where are we at? Is it my, it's my my, number number two, my number two. Um, no, I think my number two was, was Grosjean. So you're up to three, my number three. Yes. All right. Um, man, this is where it gets tough because I, I, I think, you this race was straightforward. It was dominated by the big four teams. It's right. kind of hard to take a lot beyond that. I, I guess I want to give a shout-out to Marcus Armstrong. Started 26th, so second to last in the field. Finished in 11th. He's had a, a solid run. He's the leader in the Rookie of the Year standing so far. Now he's not going to be at the Indy 500, uh, but it still seems like he could be running... Some more races this year on ovals. I know Marshall Pruitt uh, of the mailbag uh, saying that Armstrong would need to double his budget to go full-time for next year, but I, I think he could be waiting in the wings for a full-time seat next season. Uh, just a shout-out to him because, look, I picked him as my rookie of the year choice despite the fact he's not running Indy and he's not running the ovals because I think he's got a great car. He's got the best equipment of of all the rookies by far. Benjamin Peterson at Foyt, I mean, he's he struggled this year, came in 22nd. Augustine Canapino had a, a surprisingly quiet race in 26th, and then Stingray Rob with the engine issue uh, coming home in last in 27th. So I, I think I continue to be impressed by him, and this is a guy that it would not shock me to see him run you know, at Iowa and Gateway later this year. Uh, he's definitely a guy that's made a good impact and, and really – Hasn't been part of the story in the negative, which is kind of what the expectations are for most rookies is, you know, just don't be uh, a detriment out there and, and maybe be in the headlines for all the wrong reasons. He's, he's kept a, he's, he's kept out of trouble, put results up when he can, and maybe could end up being with a, a bigger team at some point uh, over the course of his career. All right. You're number three, my number three. I know we, we talked about the haves and have nots in the sense of who can compete for wins, but I thought it was pretty amazing that despite, just one caution for three laps. Every driver that finished the race finished on the lead lap. That's really impressive. Which I think is very impressive. And all of them finished 90 laps in the race. All 26 outside of Stingray Rob, who's out after lap 36. And I think that shows while the the ceiling, I think, the upper echelon is separating itself from everybody else, the floor is pretty high as well. That Yeah, maybe some of these teams aren't right now competing for wins, 
but none of them are completely and thoroughly lost either. And we could talk about RRL not living up to expectations, but at the same time, they're not a back marker or a rolling chicane. So the fact that I know it's a big track, 2.3 miles, but the fact that we had 87 laps of green and everybody finished on the lead lap, I thought was pretty impressive. Yeah, no, I, I would agree. So that's a look at our three things, other notes and takeaways from the weekend. First off, good news. Barber uh, announces the biggest crowd that they had on race day since 2015. I know I went a couple years ago and it was their biggest crowd, I think, for a Saturday. But then with weather coming in the, the Sunday, it was uh, obviously a much smaller crowd. They had a record qualifying day crowd back then. But biggest race day crowd. Also, the race uh, gets an extension. They'll remain on the calendar until 2027. Did and you know they refer to it as the Augusta of motorsport? Yes, I, I, I have heard that. I, I heard that over times. the weekend. I've heard that. I've never heard that before. So that's a very positive for IndyCar. This is a great event. And I think you could argue it's kind of their, you could say as high as their third best event. It's an anomaly in the thick of NASCAR country in, in, in Alabama. It, it defies the odds and it has defied all expectations when it was added to the calendar. And, um, Mr. Barber has done a tremendous job with the facility and it, has become a jewel of the IndyCar series, which when it was first added, you're going, man, it's, can this thing last through its first contract being down in the middle of NASCAR country? But it has absolutely thrived. And it was a little hard to pass the first couple of years with the old uh, IR8 you know, chassis and, and everything. But since they switched to the DW12 and then the different iterations since, it's been a pretty racy track. And it's been, it's a, it's a road course race I think everyone looks forward to. It is a... European style road course, if that makes sense, in terms of sweeping terms, in terms of elevation changes, all that stuff. It gives uh, a great feel for drivers who are used to European racing, and it's a good challenge for for everyone. We see it every year, even the most experienced drivers. We saw it in qualifying and practice, going off track, going uh, trying to cook it in too too fast, and and losing it. So it's a challenge, and it continues to be one each and every year, and and. The fans love it. They turn out in droves. Drivers love it as well. 175 passes for position in the race. So uh, another really good race coming out of Barber Motorsports Park. All right. TV ratings time. Always a fun fun. discussion, right? So looking at Barber and what we had as far as the numbers go, positive and negative. Uh, I think the negative is, well, 930,000 viewers. So you're under a million. But it is slightly up from last year, uh, which had 920, yes, 920,000 viewers. So first race, I think, to be up year to year. However, when you look at the streaming numbers, that's where you have some real, real growth, where you had uh, total audience delivery of 972,000 viewers. So 42,000 viewers uh, makes it the third most streamed IndyCar race on record, obviously behind, I think, last year's Indy 500 when it was on Peacock. Then the Toronto race last year, which they right. never released numbers huh. for. Yeah, probably because it was so dismal. But um, yeah, impressive is streaming. We've talked about it at length on the podcast and on our morning show about how that's going to be more and more people and a good number for IndyCar. Overall, though, anything under a million I don't think is good. No. And so being under a million, even with those streaming numbers, is uh, not, not ideal, especially uh, it- when you're not going up against Cup. Correct. No cup. His cup was rained out. And look, F1, 
beat IndyCar. I mean, uh, Cup beat IndyCar and, and on Cup Monday. Beat IndyCar on a Monday. Yeah. So that those are the the factors that are really, really, really not good. And neither one of those was on a network television station, right? Dover was on FS1. Yes. And obviously, F1 was on ESPN. Yes. They both beat IndyCar, which is on network. Yes. So IndyCar was on what? What was the the green flag? Time? Was, it was later in the after? Yeah. So yeah. they're also going right up against Game Seven of Warriors Kings, but. I mean, the IndyCar race finished well before yeah. the basketball game was over. Right, correct. So, as always, you're always going to go up against something, but you at least didn't have direct competition with NASCAR, where you you were expecting to going into the weekend yeah. with how big of a stinker Baku was. I was bad. Uh, at least from what I've read. I, it, I, I, I did not even I had it on watch. for the fur. I, I, I recorded it, of course, because I do that with everything. Watched probably up to a little bit after... The pit sequence that Perez got out in front of uh, of uh, Max uh, because of the caution and the safety car, that basically decided the race. And that was like with 40 laps to go or something like that. So yeah, it was boring. <laughs> um, but, I mean, so far for IndyCar this season, we haven't seen that incremental growth that we'd like to see that everybody would like to see in terms of viewership. Yeah. It's, it's, it's not going with the up. exception of Barber. It's been going down. Yes. It's been going down. Now the and month of May, I think will be key for that. It can see, yeah, it can save it because that makes or breaks you in terms of the Indianapolis 500. But right now, no, you can try to spin it and, and IndyCar will try to spin it about, uh, you know, total audience delivery and stream and all that stuff. But the fact of the matter is ratings so far have been down from this time last year. Uh, another uh, another note from the race weekend. So I don't know if, if you caught this on the broadcast. There was a kid wearing a Grosjean uh, crew shirt who refused to give a, a high five or fist bump to Scott McLaughlin after. Ah, really? And apparently the, the kid met McLaughlin before the race. <laughs> All smiles. And, and um, yeah. <laughs> I think his, his, his dad said he was pumped to meet a bus bro before the race. Uh, and then he's grounded for a week, and Scott McLaughlin <laughs> said, "Don't ground him. He was a good kid. That stuff happens to me all the time. Hope you enjoyed the race." So I thought thought that was pretty that's good natured. But um, one thing that's not good natured: uh, Scott Dixon versus Pato Award. Yeah, that conversation happening before the race, and then apparently, no hugs. No hugs. Pato went in for a hug, and, and Scotty was like, "No, no, no. We're not, we're not cool like that right <laughs> now." So I thought that was interesting. Hashtag indie rivals. Yeah, for that one. So that's our recap of Barber. And everything to, to come away from a good race weekend. Uh, also, we have the debut of 100 Days to Indy. Unfortunately for IndyCar, it went up against the NFL Draft first round. Um, but the TV ratings, 189,000 viewers. Uh, this from Adam Stern. Uh, competed against the NFL Draft. But, for example, USA Network's Race for the Championship first episode last year, 233,000. So, not that far off. Now, granted, CW is a, a network now, doesn't have the reach compared to the other networks, right. but it is a network. But then when you look at the numbers beyond that, uh, there was a pretty good rating for it when it uh, re-aired on the Sunday, with the Sunday re-air. We also are never going to know the streaming numbers for the CW app, which, like for example, I could can't watch... CW on YouTube TV, but I do have an antenna, so I watch it live just yeah. via the antenna. So we don't know those streaming numbers, even though they do apparently count for Nielsen numbers. And so, look, at first episode, I thought it started a little slow, 
kind of seemed a little chaotic. There was a lot thrown into that hour. But then the last half hour, I felt, was really good. Yeah. Um, I thought it was decent enough. Um, again, what my opinion is really doesn't matter because you're trying to get in new fans. It was hard for me to really get behind this in terms of being a ratings bonanza. I think your your hope is re-airs of it, and it actually scored higher on Sunday night in the rear, re-air on CW than it did Thursday. And then the uh, debut of it was on Tuesday night on Vice. So maybe that could bring in some additional numbers, yeah. and then you're hoping for for people to go back and watch the stream. Um, I Vice thought it was, set to be uh, filing for bankruptcy. Yeah, soon. which is of course so, IndyCar's luck, right? Yeah, but uh, I don't, this won't time. have any impact on the show. Not for this, this season, year. but but future perhaps season future if they years. even revisit it. Um, but if it brought in some new fans potentially, then it uh, achieved the goal. But I just didn't have very high expectations. For the rating, but I also probably didn't have them as low as not even registering on the top 50 primetime that night, which is not, not no. good. No, and, and you lost a lot of audience. I think they're well over 600,000 for the show that was on before. Yeah, like you lost a lot. Um, but 385,000 viewers combined between the two airings, not great. But again, that, that's the first episode. Uh, you want to see it build right, right. And, and that's the thing i'll be curious to see you know how much of an impact the nfl yeah. draft have on yeah that first episode and, and again the show is not for us the show is for right younger viewers and while it wasn't great as far as the younger demo from the nielsen numbers we don't have those numbers versus uh, you know for what it showed on the cw right. app and that's where you you know it's going to skew younger. Maybe uh, Thursday night will be a little bit more indicative. If you can have some momentum, if you can get into the 200,000s for the initial broadcast on Thursday, I think that'd be going in the positive direction. The only thing I felt that was really missing from the episode is there was nothing from Pato Award at the end after he lost the lead. Which is supposedly coming this Pete. this week is, is Pato Award yeah. and Colton Herta. Featuring, so we'll uh, featuring them for the Texas race yeah. weekend. So the one thing that I took out of that hour and I told you and I had a discussion with my dad about the same thing is and it even goes back to having Scott McLaughlin on last week in his comments. It further cemented the fact to me that Indianapolis is so, 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 so much more important than the championship to these drivers and teams. And NBC would love to make you think that the championship is as important as the Indianapolis 500. And it's not, it's not even close. And uh, we we've had these discussions and arguments with, with other people about championships versus Indianapolis 500s. I am of the, the belief that, that Scott Dixon would trade every single one of his six championships for another Indianapolis 500. And Scott McLaughlin saying, I would do anything to win the Indianapolis 500. Nobody's saying, I will do anything I possibly can to win the championship. Oh, and part of that's because the championship, quite honestly, just as far as I know, still pays the same million dollars yeah. it's paid for, what, 15 years, yeah. 20 years? It pays maybe one-third of the amount for the Indianapolis 500. And, and I equate it to, and I was talking to you about this, with mountain climbing. If you climb Everest, 500 is the Everest of the IndyCar series. And if you win the Indianapolis 500, you are always uh, introduced as an Indianapolis 500 winner. Just like if you climbed Everest, you are referred to as a guy or girl who climbed Everest. Whereas the, the championship is like climbing, you know, let's say Mount Rainier in the United States. Like, yeah, it's a big mountain. It's kind of cool. But you, but the, the Everest is clearly more important. And, and that's kind of how I equate it to. And NBC loves 
to hammer us to try to make us think that the championship means as much as the 500 and it doesn't. And I understand why NBC does it because they want you to keep tuning in to every single race, right? They want to, they want you to believe that, that all 17 races matter for the championship and it does, but NBC really overvalues the championship compared to the teams and drivers. Like it really does. Like, yeah, you want to win a title. Yeah, it's nice. Whatever. Uh, manufacturers championship. Sure. But it's all around the 500. And even look, we see that with the main manufacturers. Chevy's dominated winning yeah, championships, but they couldn't care less. They'd rather win the 500. Yeah. And whereas Honda has that seven, four advantage as far as in the, you know, Honda Chevy era, obviously Lotus for that one year in 2012, right. but Honda's got more than 500 wins. That's what they brag about. That's all they right. care about. And yes. then it just so happened that one of their drivers and Kyle Kirkwood won at Long Beach where Honda's, you know, closely, you know, not too far from there in Southern right. California. So as far as HPD goes. So those are the events they want to win. Yeah. Winning the championship. Yeah, whatever. Like winning the, the manufacturer's points title, whatever. You want to win the Indy 500. Right. Because that's way more important. Yeah, and I don't know if it's manufacturing drama for NBC. It's an edict coming from above that the announcers and pit reporters have to hammer on the championship time and again. Or is it maybe they just they just run out of things to and they have to find something to talk about? And it's the championship, but it just doesn't matter in the sense compared to the Indianapolis 500 and all the the first episode of of 100 Days to Indy and talking to Scott McLaughlin just reinforced that point that hey, in terms of relevancy. The championship doesn't even sniff the stratosphere of what the Indianapolis 500 does, despite what NBC tries to make everyone think. We'd love for you to interact with us. You can find us at NewTrackRecordPodcast.com. While you're there, sign up for the email list. It is free. You'll never miss an episode. Also, you can check out the store. We have T-shirts and stickers for sale uh, via the website, so check us out there. Uh, you can check us out, patreon.com slash new track record. If you want to be a supporter, starts as, as little as $1 a month. Thanks to Xavier, Rob, Stitch, and several others for their monthly support of the show. Uh, on social media, IndyCar Podcast is the Twitter and Instagram handle. On Facebook, just search for new track record. You can also always email us, new track record podcast at gmail.com. And as always, listen for free on your favorite podcasting platform, uh, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Overcast, CastBox, Player FM, wherever you listen to podcasts, again, all for free. Mailbag time, and we have a ton. I mean, an absolute ton to get to, so we'll get started with a lot that to get to. on we're, the we're, show. We're reaching the point, this is good with growth, is that we're almost reaching a point where it's too much to all go through. Yes. On the podcast. There were a couple times last year where it felt close to that, but yeah. really nothing beyond. But now it's really getting to that point. So mm-hmm. first thing we'll get to last week, uh, Nashville GP organizer is planning a new contract uh, for 2024 because this is the last year of the three-year contract, along with the new layout uh, because the Titans stadium approval went through late last week. So the Nashville Grand Prix will head into the third and final year of its contract with the current course. And then they'll have a new course starting in 2024. Uh, they're working with Tony Cotman and Jason Rittenberry, who's been on the podcast before, uh, to kind of work on this layout. They're working on a new three-year extension with IndyCar, so they'll continue to be in downtown Nashville. Now, as far as the location and stadium construction, that's going to be a problem, right? So this is going to be a 
a different course, but they're already working on alternate courses. Obviously, they have to be finalized and proved by the city in the series. So, I mean, best case scenario, you find a way to make it go on Broadway. Yes. I don't know how easy that is. That, that would be really difficult. Yeah. That would be massive for the series to get that. That'd be the IndyCar equivalent of, of F1 getting to race down the strip, basically. Yes. That's I mean, how big or, that or NASCAR having their Chicago street race. Yes. Totally. Which I, I guess is still happening. Uh, yeah, as of now, I think it's one and done, but it's happening. Yes. So we'll see in, in a lot of comments as far as on the layout. Uh, Poet Shevchenko saying, I hadn't once considered that after three years of success, IndyCar would actually have more leverage with the city than they did before to make the racetrack, uh, the race, make the racetrack that they want. Yeah. So, I mean, they're, they're going to work together with the city to make this what they want it to be. And I yeah. think that's very positive. It's been a profitable enough event for the city to make them say, yes, we, we want to make this work. And that's rare for all street courses in all series, let alone the IndyCar series. Huge crowd for year one. The crowd was down last year, but they dealt with rain on race day. So I think that's a factor. And then we'll see what year three brings. I, I know some fans hate it because it feels like a demo derby. This is, to me, racing over the bridge. It's a unique course. They they tweaked the layout a little bit last year to yeah. make it a little better. And I just think it's it's unique. It's different. Yeah. We don't want every race to be a demo derby, as, no. as we said. But this is, it's fun. It's a fun event. It's it's. Uh, a challenging course. It brings out the emotions and driver. It's kind of in a way how Bristol used to feel where, you know, you put them in a bull ring and, and they're going around and there's going to be a lot of uh, tempers that potentially flare and it's entertaining. You don't want to be every, every week at Bristol, but mixing it in twice a year was nice. Of course, now it's once on dirt. It's kind of that way with Nashville. It's a unique place. It's a vet. It's a uh, metropolitan area. You, you want to be in that is the envy right now of, uh, cup and there's not very many events on the IndyCar schedule that they are, are, are that the cup is envious of and Nashville is one of them I don't care how the racing is in terms of it, it's exciting it's action-packed it's not dull it's not anything but dull and um, I can handle a Nashville race once a year in terms of there's a lot of a lot of crashing a lot of intrigue all right so you posted this poll a new layout coming for the Music City GP track featured you consider the most important to add uh-huh. Nearly 49% said Broadway Street front stretch. Yeah, that, it's uh, 25.5% jump over Grand Old Opry, uh, 15% tunnel under the river, and about 10.5% said Hockey Arena is Pit Road. So several replies here. Atlanta Cat 99 said former road to India's participants. That'd be nice. It's it's a cost thing, though. Yeah. Uh, skyscraper Tree 1, Dollywood Loop-de-Loop. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, N.K. Harden, if F1 can run down the Vegas Strip, as you mentioned, IndyCar can run down Broadway. I think it's a very real possibility now that F1 has opened the door for that bullet of a play. IndyCar has proven their product to Nashville. Yeah? yeah. Uh, Kyle Conley, 59. Now, hear me out. A jump over the river. I'm saying. <laughs> uh, Jeremy from HBG work. said, a shortcut you can use once, but it costs you all your push to pass. <laughs> uh, in I am analog. Did you just describe an N64 era track? <laughs> uh, yes, 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 I did. Now, uh, now I, there wasn't enough in there in the answer box to put this. So if if the if pit road is through the hockey arena or the arena, which is the Bridgestone Bridgestone Arena, yes. by the way, and that's on Broadway. Yes, um, the ice would be down, so you would have to navigate the ice to get in and out of pit road. So no, 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 uh, you know, uh, no smoke or anything. Just. Uh, Getting out of the, the pits, you have to be very deliberate. So 
That's I think would be fascinating. But of course, the most likely, and I don't know how likely it is, being able to go down Broadway. And and that's that's the thing that will really make this event big is is if you can go past Bridgestone Arena, go down Broadway and and have it work around. Now, could you still do the bridge as part of the layout? I I don't know. I don't know how that would connect, but I know in reading that article that was put out is is now that business owners have seen the uptick in business with the event, they're not as much worried about no motor uh, automobile traffic for a couple of weeks with it being blocked off. They've They've been able to to prove that hey, this is going to be a boon to your business, despite maybe it all being walk up as opposed to to drive up. So I think that helps, and maybe a seller to uh, take over some big time streets in the heart of Nashville for the new configuration. All right, uh, I posted this. You know, hundred days to Indy, not for Indy car fans. It's for people who aren't fans. But uh, some replies: A fish two thousand on Twitter said, "Decades long fan here, loved it." Beans B card blog. I'm an IndyCar fan. I have nothing bad to say about it. thought it was solid. And Russell Envy said, agreed, like the concept. So it's getting, the fact that it's getting good feedback from IndyCar fans is also very positive. I mean, that's good, but I'd love to hear some people's opinions that stumbled upon it or have watched for the first time. And, and is that a hook? Maybe it's too soon to tell. We'll see. Um, so Indy44 had this, and it's one of those Google Translate articles. Argentine and you know in Portuguese to English. Uh-huh. So two teams will test at Termas de Rio Hondo in October. Obviously, you would think Juncos will be one of them, uh, as far as what that means. Now, what does that mean for the series going forward? Well, it is interesting. A couple replies here. Uh Kyle Conley 59. Is St. Pete contracted to be the opener? Could Argentina open the year? And then St. Pete is the US opener. Um I'm not sure about the the contract because it was exclusive, then it wasn't, and I don't know if it is again. I I do know this. I've read previously, I think it was Auto Week that had it, that it would be an October race for some reason, which would mean exhibition. Exhibition or somehow the season ending. I I don't know. I think early on in St. Pete's um, event history that being able to be that first race was important for the growth, at least they saw important for the growth of the event. I don't necessarily think that's the case now. If this, if St. Pete all of a sudden went to the second race as opposed to the first race of the season, I don't see an appreciable decline in attendance for whatever for or or whatever. I, I think it's perfectly fine. Aaron J. Richmond yeah. saying, if the race can be in late February, then absolutely got to shorten the off season. Oh, but we also have that big gap, you know, between yeah, race one and race, race one, two. Race the IndyCar two. needs to find a way to to fix that as well. Now, speaking of Argentina, and this is breaking news okay. as we uh, record here on Wednesday morning, the livery of Augustine Canapino's car for the 500 has been released, uh-huh. and it is Argentinian livery in the blue and white of Ooh. the flag with Visit Argentina as the primary sponsor on the car. Nice, clean look. Um, has the... Um, Seal of Argentina on the back wing. Um, I like the look, and this is another push. I would imagine towards trying to get a race secured in Argentina. The fact that the Argentine Football Association is partnering with this, yeah, that's a pretty big deal. So yes. they're celebrating the World Cup at the Indy 500. Yeah, that this this is really cool. Um, I, I got to give props to 
the team for doing that because I think it looks great and this uh, the, all signs point to a race. It's just when it will happen. Is it is it coming next year? You know, they they the time is now, right? And that's where we see things happening. It's just where does it slot into the schedule? And please, please, please. Do not let it be just an exhibition race. Yeah, don't race. make it let it be an exhibition race. I think Argentina, even the the country itself, may put front some money to make this happen, which would uh, help you know convince IndyCar teams that it's viable. They need to at least cover their costs going to Argentina. But, man, I, I feel like there's too much to like about this situation to not make it happen. Just do it a one-year deal. Just go once and see how, how it works out. But I, I can't imagine it being a failure considering – uh, the excitement around Argentina for IndyCar. And this is just another push, I think, towards towards making that happen. It's a very clean-looking car, pretty cool. And it's going to get Argentina behind that car as well. Much as it has the team and Canapino in itself, it's just fueling more excitement for the series. And if you have if you get them to tune in, then other hooks will make them come back. And you, you bring them in with Canapino and Juncos, and maybe some other action keeps them around. Rate the race time, OG of Barber. I gave it a seven and a half. I go eight and a half. You would. <laughs> um, a lot to like, a lot of on-track passing. I get it for sure. Um, but the last 20 laps was basically a non-factor. Yes. That was almost one-fourth of your race, and and nothing nothing happened other than Scott McLaughlin pulling away, right? So uh, for that, it's kind of dinged for me a little bit. Uh, I, I don't like a crash fest, but I also appreciate uh, – yellows and leading to restarts and some drama on restarts and that we, we didn't really have that outside of the one caution. So for me, I guess it didn't rate as high as, as, as most people rated it. You have an 8.5. 8.5. I thought you had a lot of, you had several on track passes for the lead. There was interest there with that. I just think it was a solid race and yeah, the, the ending, I would have given it a higher rating if the ending really factored more into it. All right, a uh, ton of responses here. In fact, so many, probably too many. Uh, Jamie Rowe, 23, 12 and a half. Uh, Michael, 2578278, give it a one. Whoa. Yeah, brutal. Um, Maybe you someone, forgot the zero. Someone said the F1 race may have been a negative 10 there, um, but not <laughs> a fan. Um, Samulus uh, with with a three, uh, eight, thought a great action, tight racing, watching power, reeling Grosjean towards the end was thrilling. It was fun. Uh, Humberto Sabedra gave it a 10 out of 10. Brian BR with a bunch of numbers, 15. Momo Hater, solid seven and a half to eight, pass for the lead. Different strategies and a DraftKings winner. There you go. Hey. Uh, that James helps. Joe with a bunch of numbers, solid seven and a half, really good racing, only gripe being that yellow. Uh, Nichardson Roa gave it a nine. Daniel SEM 2004, six and a half. This race was all strategy, and the three stoppers got lucky with the lack of yellows. Grosjean's push to pass Faye let McLaughlin pass easily for the lead. Race was over with 20 to go. I mean, he, he agrees with you. Uh, yep. T.E. Francis, eight and a half. Good race. Stealth, 1014, seven and a half. Uh, Bill Hessa, eight. Exciting racing at each stint. Passing in close racing. My only gripe was the throwing of the yellow beneficial for the three stoppers once again i'm i am hating on indycar letting the leaders pit not if it's a yellow on an oval right away right it should be a yellow on a road course the street course right away if it's all about safety then either throw a local yellow or do a full course you could yeah. do a local yellow like 
Do a local yellow first, then a full, and I guess I'd be in agreement. But they went full course yellow, or, or no, they delayed, then went yep, full course yellow. To allow yellow. everybody to pit. It's just, it's confusing. It's, yeah. It is gimmicky. Well, it's it's basically, if, if you're within the pit window of a certain amount of cars, they'll try to keep it open as much as possible. I guess that's why maybe within the near future we see a virtual safety car being put yes. out there, and that would kind of alleviate that situation a little bit. Uh, but at the same time, it was... It wasn't all luck, I would say, because McLaughlin and, and Penske at large still had some really damn good cars. Because not every team that took the three steps, uh, three uh, stop strategy was up towards the top. But uh, the combination of their really good cars with how the yellows fell or didn't fall really set up the win for McLaughlin. Hunter's Way sixty-seven gave it a nine. Great road course race, thanks to the different strategies, on-track passes for the lead, plus all the action mid-pack. Can ask for much more than that. Big D cart gave it an eight. Great strategic matchup. Baku was a one. <laughs> I'm that analog. High, huh? Give it a six and a half. Race was solid. Maybe a little underwhelming. Uh, good races from Lungard, Armstrong, and of course McLaughlin. NK Harden gave it a nine. Constant action up front with passes for the lead and all over the track. Leader could never really pull much of a gap. Varied strategies made for an exciting plot. Just a great barber race that we have come to expect year after year. Daguerre gave it a five. The race distance makes it a fuel-saving race, and that's not very exciting. Why not 100 laps instead of 90? That would surely improve the show. The caution had some winners and losers, and the battle for the win was good, but overall was rather uneventful. Well, it was, what, 80 laps or 75 and then yeah, 85 and then, and then now 90? That's the thing. I, it's very tough because if you do it to 100, then, then teams are going to try to figure out a way to do it in more or less stops and make it work. I just think that's the inevitability of of racing right now is you're always going to have teams that look for an advantage, whether that's an arrow or speed or pit stops or lack of pit stops. And I think that's always, no matter what I feel you make a race distance, there's going to be teams that try to make it work uh, on less stops. And that's just an inevitability. I Since feel. they've had engineers as part of the equation, that's the reality, right? Yeah. I mean, that's it's not, it's, it's not going to change. It's not something you're getting away from. Jeff Zerneski, eight and a half, good battle up front. Exciting to see Will Power almost run down the leaders. I attended the event, and it was much bigger this year than last. Great job, IndyCar. So nice. Had a, it sounds like you had a great time. Sig Domer gave it a seven. Tyler underscore Allen, six and a half. Transocean Trojan, nine. Ten of Grosjean, one, but still a great race. Jeremy from HBG, I would go seven and a half to eight, solid racing. I think a bit more uh, banging than we saw. As for my IndyCar fantasy picks, on to Indy. Yeah, I feel the same way. We had a, uh, somebody that graded the race and got a fan, uh, DraftKings win or whatever they said. I picked uh, Scott McLaughlin to win on this very podcast last week, and I didn't bet him to win. That's on you. At stupidity. Absolute stupidity. I took uh, Grosjean and a couple other drivers to win. Um, that was after qualifying, and I picked Scott McLaughlin and didn't put money on him. Stupid. <laughs> Run underscore Mark underscore run. F1 was a soft three. Barber, a strong nine. Great and respectful racing by everyone on track. Uh, M. Rusimarov, definitely a 10. Aaron J. Richmond gave it an eight. Pochevchenko, every aspect of this race was firing on all cylinders. Uh, moves fighting at the front and all the way to the back. Fuel strategy, tire strategy, not a dull moment. In fact, NASCAR has rained out. I mean, someone knew this was going to be a great one and wanted everyone to watch. Give it a 10. DC Soda, 9.5. Would have loved that fights for the lead to be a few laps later. Great race. Lots of fun to follow the strategies. See them play out despite the yellow. Action at the front and people moving through the field. Not much more to ask for. Uh, Jay Lacey, 16. Gave it a 7. I think I have one more to get to. 
KSAN5001, 6.8. I always love the technical yes. replies like that. Uh, I wonder what, what dropped the 0. 0.2 points for deduction to yeah, prevent it, it from being a 7. You know, it's like gymnastics scoring here, yes. right? Yes. I, I think I always find that interesting. You know, deduction for, for what? Quarter point deduction? Half point deduction? Yeah, apparently you, you two know? tenths of a deduction. Two or maybe deduction. two one tenth deductions. So all in all, that wraps up the mailbag for this week. News and notes time. A few things to get to. Nothing really that major. We have Santino Ferrucci's IndyCar ride for the 500 unveiled, and they'll be doing the Homes for Our Troops. Really good looking car. Looks similar to one of the rides they had last year with the American flag livery on that. So it looks pretty sharp there. Um, there will be a two hour pre-race show exclusively on Peacock in the morning before the 500. That's kind of nice. So they'll have that. They'll have a performance from DJ Diesel, AKA Shaq, who's going to be in the snake pit. That will head into NBC's traditional pre-race. It starts at 11 a.m. Green flag around 1245. Um, so they'll have a lot of extra coverage. Not, not sure. Nathan Brown reporting the IndyStar if Peacock will be blacked out for central Indiana fans. They didn't have Peacock uh, blacked out last year, more than 200,000 digital viewers and ticket sales. I heard were up compared to last year at this rate and the highest since 2016. That's good. That's very, up very is good because Lord knows the ratings so far aren't up. Yes. And GMR GP, uh, 3:30 PM coming up next Saturday uh, on NBC. Right. Uh, and then for qualifying, so they'll have everything on Peacock, obviously. The qualifying weekend, um, they'll have NBC qualifying coverage, 2.30 to 4.30. Uh, Peacock exclusively airing the final nearly 90 minutes until 5.50. So that's a little different than what they've done before. So they're going middle of the day, which it's not really that helpful. On not helpful. Network. I guess maybe they're trying to put it to where there's not a big impact of if you go first or last in that group. Maybe that's like the quietest part of the day. Usually, yeah. Especially well, if it's hot Then day yeah. two, um, they practice in the morning. Uh, NBC will air four to six final two hours. Obviously the, the bump day that will be one hour. And then, the fast six qualifiers. Oh, you know, after that, every every year it's somewhat different. Yes, as far as the format itself, as far as the qualifying format, and I, I saw this the other day. Here's here's the look: day one, which is Saturday, 11 a.m. to 5:50, full field qualifying on Peacock, and again 2:30 to 4:30 NBC. Positions one through 30, 13, 30, 13 through 30 will be set. It will not requalify on Sunday. Uh, then once everyone goes at least once, uh, you can try to improve your position. Cars outside the top 30 uh, will have to uh, be a part of the last chance qualifier, if you will, uh, on Sunday. Positions 1 through 30 locked in during day 1. Now in day 2, they'll do the fast 12. 7 through 12 will be determined from 2 to 3. Order based on Saturday time, slowest to fastest. One guaranteed attempt. The fastest six to the, the Firestone fast six will then determine one through. So not only do you qualify Saturday, then you qualify Sunday. And if you make the fast six, you qualify again a couple hours later. Because four to five is the last chance qualifying positions, 31 through 33, and then obviously bumping with 34 entries expected. And then 515 to 545 
the Firestone Fast Six, where they'll determine one through six. Uh, for and me, you're asking a lot. Yeah, it's if, too much. Yeah, just simplify the damn thing. But um, I, I still like the two lanes, right? The you got pull your time to go in the fast lane to go to the front, blah blah blah. Bumping, yes, it's still only 34, but it adds the entry. Quite frankly, I'm more interested in the bumping than the pole. Uh, I know that's kind of the centerpiece of the weekend and running for the pole, but to me, the 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 agony, the 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 drama of qualifying weekend for me is bumping when you can have it, and I'm glad to have it back, even though I wish it was more than just a single car. But I hope that. The RC Enerson car is uh, competitive enough to make it an actual fight to make a ra- to make the race. I have my doubts considering the lack of of track time and the makeup of that team, but at the same time, uh, the the drama of bumping gets me over the drama of who gets the pull every single time because you can win the race from ninth, eighth, seventh, all the way up to one. You can't win the race if you don't start it. Yeah. That's true. I, 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 we're traditionalists. Like I, I get that you're never going to do four days of, of qualifying where you do pull right. day, day two, yeah, day three and bump day across two weekends, but you make it so hard to understand. Yeah. And it, it just seems like they're doing it for TV. It doesn't feel worth it to uh, me. It just, it's so difficult to follow along. We'll have to look for the, the handy graphic to make sense of it all. But if somebody asks you or somebody tries to turn it on at, 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 at 3.52 afternoon on Saturday or Sunday like, and, and try to figure out what's going on, it's impossible. Yeah. I, I just don't like making people who are supposedly locked in the race re-qualify. And if you're making the fast six, you have to qualify three different times minimum. Right. Yeah. And you can make more attempts than that, obviously. And I think we'll see that. And to so. me, like, is the risk of crashing your car going for the pole on the third time you have to run worth it as opposed to starting sixth I no don't think because so. the Not pole winner all. gets like what a hundred and fifty thousand or something yeah and you they can did win the, you can win the race from sixth and you can lose the race from the pole i mean just look at what we saw colton Herta last year now granted it was practice it wasn't qualifying but he had one of the fastest cars early on in the week and crashes it and never was able to find it again through the race so um, to me, it's just asking a lot. Once again, we talked about NBC hyping up the uh, championship like it's bigger than it is. I really feel like the Indianapolis Motor Speedway and the IndyCar Series try to hype up the pole position more than it really matters. And that's be a direct result of because you don't have a lot of drama on the back end. Yes. you know. So when you only have 33 cars starting like we did the last couple of years, of course you're putting a lot of onus on, 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 on pole. And now we just have one car, try, extra car, trying to make this the the race. So you're still putting an onus on the pole as being the thing. But if the series can ever get to multiple cars trying to make the field, 35, 36 or more, then I, I think the drama goes back to bumping. But I think the series and the network have tried to fuel this excitement for the pole to make up for the lack of drama we've had in bumping couple other notes to get to real quick. Marshall Pruitt says he spent an, almost an hour on the phone with a producer from HBO Sports. This was last week to help with details, background, and insights for an upcoming real sports segment on an American open-wheel talent. I'm loving the recent uptick in interest we're seeing on this side of the fence. So I wonder what that could be about. I think that's pretty fascinating. Could it be a Roman Grosjean-type feature thing for Maybe. Europe? 
Well, he said, uh, yeah, it could be. I, I don't know who it is, but either way, it's fascinating. And the other thing I wanted to get to, uh, AutoNation entering F1 by sponsoring the Alpine F1 team at Miami. And they're starting discussions on a broader business relationship in America between AutoNation and Alpine cars, which will start selling the U.S. market in the coming years. So a big-time sponsor for Andretti Autosport for a lot of years. That's of interest. Tweets of the week time, a lot to get to. B. Wilson underscore 27. IndyCar podcast is the Augusta of podcasts. Really? Hey, we'll take it. Now, keep repeating that ad nauseum. Uh, Michael 257-82778. On where did Roman Grosjean's push to Pasco? Pinsky deleted it all. <laughs> and Poet Shevchenko, Grosjean and McLaughlin are serving up some USDA choice certified organic beef for 100 days to Indy. Very nice. My my thing is, 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 is it, it relates to McLaughlin and watching the first episode of 100 Days Dini. My new favorite spouse of a driver in the series is Scott McLaughlin's wife because she was either drinking or talking about drinking every time <laughs> she was on on the first episode of 100 Days Dindy. They seem like I, they'd be a fun crew to hang oh, out. Oh, yeah. You know, the in-laws were there and hanging out, and, and she was either drinking wine or they were watching the race in the in the RV, and she was talking about how stressful it is, and alcohol hell always helps. I can relate. She's my <laughs> type of woman, for sure. And then this from Marshall Pruitt. Debut of the Penske Entertainment and Vice Produce IndyCar Series 100 Days to Indy. Premieres tonight, April 27th on The CW. Can't wait to hear your thoughts. Also tonight, NFL Draft and NBA Playoffs. Other IndyCar item that debuted on April 27th, Driven. You can't make this stuff up. Ooh, and it's the anniversary of Driven. Yeah. So there you go. That's our tweets of the week this week. Random split air driver of the week time. All right, we're going to the IndyCar series, the IRL, uh, late 90s, early 2000s. We're, we're going with Bobby Register from Boulder, Colorado. Are you Bob, just making up names? Bobby Register. No, no, this is a real person. And fascinating story. So he did two races in 99 and 2000 with Triskelly Team Racing. Pikes Peak Raceway in 99, and then did Phoenix in 2000. His claim to fame, Caleb, is racing, uh, has multiple wins of the Pikes Peak Hill hill Climb. Yeah, which that's how the Unser's got their Yes, absolutely. So um, he won the Pikes Peak International Hill Climb in 2007 with his super stock car 444, a 2005 Pontiac Sunfire. Um, And he now works in real estate and land sales. And, but back then was, was a racer. And when IndyCar was visiting Pikes Peak Raceway, he said, right in my backyard, heck yeah, we'll do this. I'm racing up mountains, so I may as well race on an oval. Finished 18th at Pikes Peak in, in 1999 and 2000, did Phoenix and finished 20th. Those were his only two appearances in the IRL, both with Triskelly Team Racing, racing an Oldsmobile G-Force. So maybe that Oldsmobile that he raced in IndyCar, he felt comfortable enough to put himself in into a GM car when he races Sunfire to the top of Pikes Peak Raceway. I've or no, excuse me, Pikes Peak, the actual mountain. Now I've re- rode my bike down Pikes Peak, most terrifying thing I've ever done in my life. But uh, he continues to operate a realty business with his son Bobby and several other real estate agents. Lives in Boulder, Colorado. But Mr. Bobby Register, two and done in the in, in the IRL in ninety nine two thousand. This week's random split era driver of the week. All right, we'll be back uh, with a special episode that should be dropping later this week, so keep your eye out on that one. And, of course, next week with a recap, uh, really, of just everything that goes down between now and then. I'm sure we'll have more special announcements, and stay tuned for special announcements 
throughout the week uh, or really throughout the month as far as different special episodes we have going on. So month of May is underway and we'll have plenty of content coming your way. For Justin Kinney, I'm Caleb Hatch. Thanks for joining us on another edition of New Track Record Podcast. Podcasts by Federated Media.